0: I'm Arthur. And I'm Susan. This is the Parent Talk
1: Podcast. Managing the challenges of daily parenting. Thanks to our founding sponsor, Naturopedic, the nation's most trusted source of organic and healthy sleep products for your children. You can visit them at naturepedic.com. That's naturepedic.com. We want to welcome everyone to Parent Talk.
0: You know, Arthur, we're doing Parent Talk And I have been working and counseling families of young children, I hate to say this, but for 40 years. (laughs) Well, that's a lot of families and parents I've spoken to over the years. And that experience has sort of led me to a discovery. I've seen a big change in parents in the past 40 years. And not just that a lot of parents are starting their families later in life, that may be true, but I've seen a real change in what they expect of their children out of their behavior, the aspirations for the future for their children, even what they expect their teachers and other people interact with their children, how they're supposed to behave. There's been big changes in the way parents have been viewing their kids. And while parents have definitely changed, I will tell you one thing that hasn't changed and that is children themselves. That's for sure. Because children's needs and their behavior, they haven't changed for millennia. They certainly haven't changed in the last 40 or 50 years. What has changed is the way we view children, the way we think about how children should behave, how we should raise them. In fact, we're looking for the quote unquote right way to raise them. This is really something very important to parents. I'm going to imagine that the people listening out here, when you were expecting your first child, I think that perhaps you might have had an idealized version of what it might be like to be a parent. You might have based your ideas from watching your friends or your relatives as they struggled through those first few years. And I bet you said to yourself, if I have a child, I'm going to do this really differently. And you were most certainly going to do it differently than your own parents raised you you were going to really listen to your child, not make them do things they hated. You weren't going to distress them or embarrass them. But as it happens to all new parents, that idealized version shatters and is replaced with a a reality, a reality that's filled with a tremendous amount of love and joy, but often with almost an equal
1: amount of frustration. That's so true. You know, I, I have to say you you really set things up so beautifully, Susan. Uh, how parenting has changed and children in their basic nature is the same. I'd say at the same time that parents, uh, although their approach has changed, their desires, you put it so nicely, has remained the same. In other words, all of us parents continue to want only the best for our children. We love them so dearly, <clears throat> and that love translates into really a fear that somehow things won't go well and that terrible fear that somehow they won't go well because of something that they did. And that's what I think changes. So the fundamentals remain the same, but I totally agree with you. What, what changes is the nature of the fear. And that of course changes from year to year. And like you, I've been a pediatrician now uh, for uh, 36 years now and getting, getting close to that 40 mark as well. Uh, And I've seen the style of fear change, but the the fundamental yearning of parents to be good for their children, to not get in their way, to not harm them, to do things that make them as successful, not just in career, but successful as people as possible remains. So I think I'm totally in agreement with that, that whole approach you're taking.
0: I'm glad you are, although I'm not surprised because we both have had some similar experiences. And what happens to when I talk to the parents, they are very distressed with themselves. Just as you were saying, they find themselves that they're losing their patience and they're bribing their kids or they're threatening them or they're cajoling them. They're doing all the things that they swore that they would never do when their baby was an infant. And as the child goes into toddlerhood and beyond, they find that they just don't have any alternatives they don't seem to know how they can stop the threatening and the bribing and the nagging. Do you see that as well in your practice?
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I think a lot of parents find that somehow, I think this comes from the uh, time when the child's a newborn, because almost, almost everything happens to the baby when they're born, not everything, but a lot is the result of what the parents do. You know, the child gets upset because they're hungry. So the parent feeds and the baby's happy uh, baby's fine until they poop in the diaper and the parent changes them and they're happy again. So almost every mood that the child has is in response to something happening within them, but in large part in response to what the parents do. And so when the children get older and they start developing these, these issues that we're going to talk about across all of our podcasts on Parent Talk, parents can't help but think, I must have done something to create this problem. But mm-hmm. we're going to talk about how And we're going to talk about it today, about how essential this is to childhood. It has nothing to do with the parents actually, even though it feels that way. But there's no question that parents do feel frustrated when these uh, conflicts arise.
0: And they really don't know where to turn. I don't know about you, but when I go into a bookstore, I have to check out the books on parenting to see what the competition's doing, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And I, and as I leaf through these many, many books, uh, just to see if they jive with what we're telling parents in our workshops, mm-hmm. and what what do I find? And I, this is no surprise to everyone who's listening. It's incredibly conflicting. From f- with each other. I mean, so no wonder the parents are confused. And I actually think that this confusion, hearing two and three and four very, very different ideas on what quote unquote, again, is right to, for raising their child, that the, the parents almost go into a sort of paralysis. They, they actually don't know what to do. They're so afraid, as you just said, of making a wrong move and doing something that's going to harm their child, that they do end up doing nothing or what they do is, is very, can be very, very inconsistent. So, you know, for instance, I love this one. You go into a book and you hear one book says, if you don't sleep train your child by four months, you will not get a decent night's sleep till you go to, till the child goes to college, right? Yeah. <laughs>
1: and,
0: and the book next to it says, if you sleep train your child, that's a cruel, unusual punishment. <laughs> yes. And you're going to destroy your child's psyche or something. I mean, can you understand why parents are so confused? Or you know, one of my very favorite topics, potty training. Um, one book says, oh, no sweat. They'll do it on their own time. No one walks down the aisle in diapers. And then what does the next one say? Strip your kid down, feed them salty snacks and juice and pop an M&M in their mouth every time they make a pee in the body. I mean, no wonder parents feel paralysis. No wonder parents don't know which route do I take, right?
1: Yeah, it leaves people with the sense that somehow experts just make things worse because they come at people with prefab sort of ideas, one size fits all. Uh, They know the right answer. If only they follow the advice right there'll be no problems. And that's one of the things I've really loved about working with you, Susan, over the years is that we've really, you know, working with over 10,000 families, we've really tried to respond to the situation at hand and, and not force our solution onto anyone. And it all starts with what we're talking about on this podcast today, which is that there is no one solution that ends conflict. Conflict is essential to how the child develops. It's not because they're looking for trouble. It's not because they uh, are mischievous, uh, but our our biology wires us. So the way we learn is we test. We test the world around us. And for what's the world around us for a young child, it's mom and dad. And so if they're going to learn by testing, then uh, we're talking about a complicated situation. Some children test this way. Some parents respond that way. And what we've done together, Susan, over the years is to bring parents an approach that they can then use in their particular situation to find their path. We believe every family has their own path to managing these conflicts. We don't believe there's any single path that ends all the conflicts.
0: You're absolutely right. No one parenting strategy will ever get rid of all the conflict or tension around certain situations because the conflict and tension are actually built in, actually hardwired into children, wouldn't you say, Arthur? That
1: Absolutely.
0: that that and that's something that I think a lot of a lot of these parenting um, books that I read they really don't address that they don't address the fact that without this this tension without this conflict the child does not have the opportunity to sort of become themselves become their own person to what we call individuate and separate from from the parent.
1: Yeah, there's a wonderful uh, book by Melvin Connor about the evolution of human childhood, and he cites. Information. I mean, he went to uh, studies of 250 unique human cultures from Amazonian hunter-gatherer societies to certain neighborhoods in San Francisco. And what he found was true in every single culture was that when children reach the age of about 18 months, say 15 to 24 months, they all begin to learn by testing the parents, by creating, actually seeking conflict. And where do they see conflict? Any parent knows the answer to that question. They see conflict precisely in the areas their parents are most frustrated with, and that's just how we're built. Um, now, a lot of a lot of people feel that's a bad thing. That you know, if you're a nurturing parent and you're very caring, and you'll have this deal where um, if you anticipate your child's needs. If you listen to experts and learn about how people develop, you'll know what they need. And in return, everyone will get along just great because the child's going to be pretty happy. But what is missing from that equation is this information we've learned from, it's been in front of our faces for eons, which is that children inevitably learn by picking fights initially with their parents and those aren't like punching fights, but they're conflicts. They'd be conflicts over what to eat. They'd be conflicts over going to bed and staying asleep all night, staying in their bed all night. they could be conflicts around toilet training, which you mentioned, or they could be conflicts over rules the parents are setting. But there's going to be something that the parents care about, the child's going to see as their chance to test the situation. And what we really want to say to everybody who's listening is that this is good. It's frustrating, yes, it's very frustrating but it's good because it's how we're built to learn. And if we can help parents appreciate what their children are doing and help them help their children manage those conflicts, the conflicts will shrink in their power. Parents become less frustrated. Children will gain confidence and learn solutions to these problems.
0: I'm going to say that it's even beyond good. I say that it's essential that children they if they don't do this then they remain just an extension of the parent as opposed to becoming you know themselves you might say their their own person and children also part of this this sort of inner thing that's going on inside your child is the desire for them to have boundaries and to be to know what the boundaries what their boundaries are and this is something that i think modern parents struggle with i think that they get a bit confused between um disappointing their child, and maybe frustrating their child, and traumatizing their child. Arthur, you and I have talked about that quite a bit.
1: Yeah, I'm really pleased that we've brought that concept to the world audience. You know, uh, some of our books have been translated into several languages. So this message has gone out in Dutch and Italian and Hindi, uh, and certainly across the United States. And it's summarized in the phrase that we crafted together, which is, there's a difference between disappointment and trauma. So trauma is the idea that something happens to your mind that leaves a a permanent alteration, something harmful that forever changes how your mind operates, or at least there's a corner of your mind that is altered forever. That's very different from disappointment. Of course, some disappointments are remembered. I still remember things I'm disappointed I didn't get to do when I was a kid, but they're not traumatizing. So disappointments are just that. They're things that we wish had gone a different way, but our mind goes along developing as it was going to develop before the disappointment. And when a child is crying in the middle of the night that they want their parents to wake up and be with them or let them into their bed, that can sound pretty traumatic. And I can tell you, having just babysat our granddaughter, who's nine months old, and when she went down to bed the one night we were with her, she cried when she went to bed. It was It was really hard for my wife and I to listen to that. So maybe it was traumatic for us, but I can tell you our granddaughter has no memory of that. It wasn't traumatic at all. Yes, she was disappointed. She wasn't picked up right away, but the way we thought about it was we gave her the opportunity. I like to think of it as giving her the opportunity to figure out what she's upset about, what she's going to do about it, how to calm herself down. We could have gone in, swooped up, and solved that for her, but it doesn't really help her to do that. Giving her a little space, even if it causes us a little bit of tension, uh, was a smart thing to do because she got herself right to sleep and she slept through the night and was fine the next day. But the broader point is that the challenge that children bring to us, whether it's sleeping tonight or refusing to toilet train or not brush your teeth, offers children an opportunity. And our goals in Parent Talk is to help parents learn how to see these challenges as opportunities, and more to the point, help their children get on their feet, develop confidence, learn how to solve problems, which is ultimately what we hope all our children get to do.
0: It's interesting because people will say, but she's just an infant, but your granddaughter is only nine months old, and she did a little problem solving in her crib that night, didn't she?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Parents really struggle with the boundaries, and whether it's the boundaries of running in to pick your child up right away or feeding or potty training or different issues as the child gets older, boundaries are something that children absolutely need and they want. It might seem like they don't want it as they're pushing all your buttons, but that's exactly why they're pushing the buttons. They're going to push parents and push parents until a boundary is set. Let's take this from the point of view of a young child. Even a very young child, even a child of nine months, understands that it's the parent who is feeding them, caring for them, loving them, and taking care of them. If a child has too much power in terms of there are no boundaries set and they can do whatever they want, think about that from a child's point of view. That can be a mighty scary feeling for a young child. After all, They know that the adults have to keep them safe and feed them and do all those other things. How can the child then be in control? They need the adult to be able to make the rules and to help that child follow the rules and meet the expectations of whatever their family culture says. I know that parents struggle with this, and I like parents to think of it this way. Instead of thinking of boundaries as restricting your child, think of it as defining a safe and secure space for your child. And I I think when you think of it from that point of view, a parent is going to be much more comfortable setting those boundaries and helping their child gain that independence and become a problem solver.
1: You know, we haven't talked about it much this way before, but you can almost think about a lot of life as a bit of a game uh, in the sense that there's rules, not so much that there's winners and losers, but there's, there's a pattern of rules that people conduct their behaviors with. And it's no fun playing the game if you don't know the rules. What fun is playing Monopoly if you don't know what it means to land on a square with a hotel on it? Poker's no fun unless you know which card is better than the other. So a lot of life is that way. You might even make the argument that every culture is a set of rules by which people live their lives. You might make the argument that wherever you live, your community plays by certain rules, certain expectations, you might say, and if you think about it as a parent, every baby born eventually learns the rules of their family, of their community. And if you don't share with your child what the rules of the game are, uh, they're seeking those rules. They're really seeking them. I really loved what you said, Susan, about how there's some comfort in providing a space with known walls, with a known bound. We call it boundaries, but known. it's a known room. So we call it a known room. We can call it rules of the game are known. Uh, And I I 100% agree with you. I've seen many, many, many times where uh, parents are hesitant to build that room, to share what the rules are with their child. And what happens in every one of those instances, the children force the parents to do so. They always, they're always going to, aren't they? Never, any exceptions to that. It comes back to what we were saying earlier. There's certain ways in which the mind develops that are set, It's just how we're built. And and this is another of those sort of structural pieces to our mind and how we develop. We will seek, every child born, every newborn born, without exception, will seek what the rules of the game are, what the walls of the room are, what the safe space is, what the unsafe space is. Uh, We do that ourselves. We do that in our own lives. You know, you get a new job. What's the first thing you try to do? You try to figure out Who's safe to talk to, what's safe to talk about. Uh, it's the same idea over and over. Uh, but uh, there's no question, there's no exception to this. And what we're here at Parent Talk to do is help parents navigate the, the child's exploration of learning what the rules are.
0: You're so right, Arthur. So when when children start to push those boundaries maybe they even know the rules but even knowing the rules doesn't stop them from trying to see if they can get around the rules or they can have an exception that day so for instance oh a lot of parents that i speak to will say my child doesn't listen to me how many times have you heard that my child just doesn't it's like they turn deaf when I begin to tell them something like, put your toys away, clean up your, what you're doing, and let's come for dinner. And they'll tell me, I, I can tell them 10 times, 20 times, and they just don't listen to me. And what t- sometimes I'll just turn it around a little and say, hmm, so if you ask them 10 or 20 times every day and it doesn't work, why are you still doing that? <laughs> Why you know why are you why are you still asking them that way it obviously doesn't work and that usually gets them to laugh as well and one of the hallmarks of our approach which you've already mentioned arthur is that we want to help that child become a problem solver that's a main goal for us when we're helping families and it was the child who in a sense let's take the thing the child won't come to dinner the child is the one who created the problem he wouldn't come in to dinner so it's the child who has the ability to solve it Albeit with a little bit of help from the parent, because children don't become fantastic problem solvers overnight. But the one thing that all those years of experience has told me is that this really does work. That when parents put the work in in these early years, these children become better and better at the problem solvers, and a lot of these issues will disappear. In the example we just spoke about, a child won't come in for dinner. So the parent could help by focusing on the child's feelings. So instead of just saying, you know, come to dinner, come to dinner, put your toys away, the parent might say, boy, you're having such a great time. You built this amazing garage for your cars. It's really hard to leave it. And it's time for dinner now. Well, the child's unlikely to disagree that that it's hard to leave this fantastic um, structure that they've built. Now the parent can have a few choices. They can say, you know, I know it's hard, but you know what you have to do right now to be able to join us for dinner. You see that the parent isn't even saying, put your toys away. Believe me, if this child is even two and a half or three, they know exactly what the rule is. And sometimes just giving them that sort of taste of positive empowerment is all that child needs. And suddenly they put their toys away and they come in. Sometimes you might wanna negotiate a compromise and parents need to know that a compromise is not, can also be a win-win. It doesn't have to be a win-lose situation. A child might just say, can I just leave my garage up, my car's here during dinner? Of course. But if they can't, if that's not acceptable for some reason that you have to get the toys put away, then you can help the child by saying, I see you worked so hard on that and you really love just the way it looks now. Let's take a picture of it, a couple pictures, and tomorrow I'll help you rebuild it so it looks just the way it did tonight. This is a way of telling the child, I hear you you really worked hard on this. It's something that looks special to you. I appreciate that. We can't put the toys away. Everybody feels satisfied. The child can come to dinner knowing that the next day he can rebuild his his marvelous structure, maybe with the help of the parent.
1: You know, that story, I think, brings home the whole point of this particular episode of Parent Talk, which is the power of the word no. You know, We're coming to this um, subject at the end of our broadcast here because uh, starting with it would be too negative. Just hearing the word no, is there a more negative word in the English language than no? I don't think so. Well, uh, yeah, on one hand, it's, it's the essence of negative. But that story illustrates and brings home the point that there's something beautiful about the word no. Think about it for a moment, if you would. Uh, If your child always said yes to everything you requested, then they would essentially just grow up to be not you, but copies of you, which is a pretty weak shadow of a full person. You don't want your child to be a copy of anyone. You want them to be them. And the only way you can become a person who has sorted things out in your way is to say no on occasion. That word no becomes the door that opens to exploring new paths to solving problems. And your story beautifully illustrates how a parent could take a child who's saying no about coming to dinner and transforming it into an exploration of how that child will create a solution to the problem that they're perceiving. So in that example, it's so nice and it's something we're going to be doing over and over again in Parent Talk is that the child's exploration leads to a solution, but not an elimination of the conflict. We're not going to tell parents we're going to get rid of conflict. The child really didn't want to come to the dinner table, but we allowed the child to use that upset, that no, allowed to use the power of no to open the door to finding a way to handle when they are conflicted about doing something, when they don't want to come to the table, how they turn that into a solution that helps them manage the conflict, not get rid of it.
0: And I will tell you that we, what we're going to be doing in future podcast is taking all sorts of behaviors in all sorts of situations, Everything from the discipline, in fact, you know, really working that through like step by step and how do you get the child to become the problem solver to the no's over the dinner table, over the potty, over sibling stuff, over doing homework, right? The no doesn't go away just after what people call the terrible twos. It stays in a child's repertoire (laughs) for many, many years, all the way through the teens.
1: I think, you know, even you and I still say no from time to time. Oh, I never say no, no. You're saying no to that idea?
0: I'm saying no to that idea.
1: (laughs) So, yeah, so we even say no now, you know, we've been known to say no to each other's ideas. You know, people who are in good relationship with each other tell each other they don't like this or that. In fact, that's one of the definitions of a healthy relationship. So surely people continue to say no about all sorts of things. Uh, throughout the course of a healthy life. You know, we're going to see this theme play out uh, with specific guidance on things like discipline that you talked about. We're also going to talk about the uh, background to issues like sleep, what is sleep, how do people learn to sleep, that will inform how parents can learn when it's right to help their children sleep through the night and how to guide them if they don't want to sleep through the night at various ages. And then, of course, we're going to devote a whole Uh, broadcast to one of your favorite topics, toilet training, and, uh, and you mentioned discipline as well. So we're going to take these broad concepts and put them into very specific guidances across very particular conflicts. The ones that we have found over the years are the most common conflicts children bring to the parents.
0: Absolutely. And I'm really looking forward to having this uh, this time to talk to you and to hopefully get input from um, some of our listeners. Um, I think that they can ask us questions through the webpage. Is that correct, Arthur?
1: Absolutely right, Susan. And so if you go to www.parenttalk.com, at the bottom of the page, we encourage everyone listening to send us their questions, their stories. Almost everything you're going to hear Susan and I talk about is the result of those 40 years or so of listening to tens of thousands of families telling us their stories. It's really those stories that we're reflecting back to you and sharing with you uh, in what we have to offer. So definitely we're very open to ideas. We wanna hear what's going on. Susan started this broadcast with the concept of parents' fears evolving over time. And so we wanna hear what people are concerned about today and your input's gonna be very valued.
0: Well, this was great fun, Arthur, and I look forward to our next podcast and getting to know some of our listeners through their questions
1: and stories. It's great talking with you, Susan, and welcome to everyone listening to Parent Talk. Thanks again for listening to the Parent Talk podcast. You can find back episodes and send us your parenting questions at parenttalkpodcast.com. And don't forget to visit our founding sponsor, Naturepedic, at naturepedic.com.